Welcome to the Real Estate Syndication Show. Whether you are a seasoned investor or building a new real estate business, this is the show for you. Whitney Sewell talks to top experts in the business. Our goal is to help you master real estate syndication. And now your host, Whitney Sewell. This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. It's that time of week again where my business partner, Sam Russ, takes over the show and interviews our guest. I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Sam Rust. Joining me today is Dave Sherball. Dave is a longtime veteran in the real estate marketplace, 30 years experience, currently oversees over 5,000 units with an emphasis on asset management through C2G, his own asset management company that he's founded. Dave's out of Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Dave, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So Dave, you've been in the real estate business a lot longer than I've been. You've seen many different crises in your time. So if we're going back 30 years, you're dealing with some of the ramifications of the savings and loan crisis, the 90s into the 2000s. You've seen euphoria. But what got you into real estate to begin with? I kind of fell into it. I was in public accounting. I'm a CPA by background. I was an auditor. I worked for a national firm and the RTC and other bank failures were happening and they did a joint venture and none of the accountants wanted to help this gentleman out because none of them saw it as a career growth to partnership. Guy was a CPA by background, you know, similar background, both from the Northeast. I started doing work for him and then I left the public accounting firm to go work for him and I did it for five years and I just kind of fell into real estate. Never owned anything, never took a college course on it. I just fell into it. And back then, the portfolio was one of everything, whether it was a hotel, a marina. Actually, back then, it was very few apartments, lots of retail, office, resorts, golf courses. So I kind of cut my teeth as a workout guy, as a generalist. Did that for five years. And when that was winding down, I joined... Insignia Financial Group out of Greenville, South Carolina. We were buying the old general partners of all the busted tax shelters syndicators when the tax law changed. So we were the largest owner of apartment complexes in the country with about 300,000. And my portfolio, again, had hotels, office, retail, mobile home parks, but a lot of apartments across the country. And at that point, Andrew Farkas said, we're just going to start buying the LP units make value for us. It can't get any worse. Make value and do whatever you have to do to create cash flow. Yeah. So you've done a little bit of everything, it sounds like. And in that, I mean, something that I've learned in my short career in real estate is that there's foundational principles that apply really to almost any business, not just real estate. And it really comes down to how well you execute. And really, that's where asset management comes into play. You know, as we're still cutting our teeth in many ways as syndicators. And so there's so many people that have flooded into the commercial real estate space in the last five years that are maybe more classified as retail investors. And we're focused on building platforms and getting the word out there and exposing potential investors to these opportunities and then finding those opportunities. Then we get something under contract and that's when the starting line is reached. And a lot of groups maybe don't realize that until they get to that point. The goal is to find that deal. And then you find it, you're like, well, how do I squeeze the juice out of this? What's some of your tried and true methods that you bring to bear in asset management? You said you haven't owned anything. You've really focused on that one thing. Why asset management and what gaps do you fill for your clients? 
So why asset management? I probably don't have the patience to be in property management, even though I know enough to be dangerous. And then some, I have run management companies of 15,000 units, 15 asset management back in the early 2000s. To us, as far as asset management and you know, kind of my track record as a workout person, I started in a down market. So in down markets, you have to be creative to keep the lights on. Where in good markets, all boats rise with the tide and everyone looks good. It's good to start in a bad market because you appreciate when times get good. You know, the problem that a lot of people have is they get early in the cycle, the wave goes up, they do great, and they start believing their press clippings that they're the smartest person in real estate. Those are the people that are really get hit hard when the market goes south because they've only lived through the good times. And everyone will go through cycles. You just appreciate the up markets versus the downtime. I find that you know being a CPA, a lot of people just look at the financials. I'm looking at the source documents. So I'm seeing what the vendors are charging, how they're charging. I'm seeing the efficiencies that the property management company may be doing or not doing so that I can then work on the expenses and say, hey, I can bulk out this service. Why are we paying for ceilings on every turn? We don't have to. They're actually charging us for more square footage to carpet or plank vinyl guy than we have. That's my auditing background that I can go from the source and work in see where there's inefficiencies. Then we work on the revenue side of the equation. So having that background allows me to be different than a lot of asset managers because they just read the financials, but they don't understand how things get there. So on due diligence, we always looked for where the weenie was line on the P&L, kind of keeping it off the financial records. Those are the ways that we kind of get real numbers from the data. That was the skill set I started on when I started getting into real estate. It's a good situation. It's when cash out is more than cash in that you run into problems. So I'm not a rocket scientist by any stretch of imagination. You hit on something a minute or so back, Dave, that I've just heard so many things about, which is property managers. And there's so many good stories about them. And then there's a lot of bad stories about property managers that are skimming off the top or taking security deposits. I'm curious with your background in auditing and then your career in asset management, where do you see the most ripe opportunities for fraud in those situations? What's a common scenario where a property manager is maybe skimming a little bit more than they should? Well, I don't like to use the word fraud, but I think over time, a lot of the big management companies have got a little bit aggressive on what they bill back for, on how they profit on stuff, where they don't tell the client that the third-party vendor that they're utilizing is giving them dollars back. So you pay a lot for the accounting function, but when you offer property management services, the accounting financial statements are part of the package. So why should you be paying for all the billbacks? Having a payroll why should you be paying, you know, I sort of one today, come across my desk, 3% of the total payroll. Payroll's costing you 100 bucks a paycheck. Why should you be paying three, $400? Why do some companies let you be on their property insurance plan? Well, it's a big profit center. Rent is insurance. 
There are some management companies that keep it and don't tell their clients about it. Sometimes the construction company or one of the vendors is owned by the management company. I'm not saying every company does it. And my theory is as long as it's market rate, same quality, just disclose it. Or instead of saying, you know, we can manage it for 2% and then build back all this nonsense, just say what you need. If you need 4%, then it's a different decision. That, that's the part I hate having to chase the management company to find where they're hiding and making. Because you talk to owners of multifamily, they say they're only making a 15, 20% gross profit. They're making more or everyone wouldn't be in the management business. It's all the stuff that they're billing back for, the stuff that you don't know about that they're getting back from the third-party vendor. And those management companies know who they are and I know who they are. And I currently have 10 management companies that my clients work with and the ones that play some games, they don't get assigned with me. So conversely, I mean, we've talked about some of the downsides and how you have to manage property management. And a lot of it comes down to just paying attention, whether that's hiring a group like C to G or doing that in-house, but just making sure that you're aware of where the dollars are flowing. But on the positive side, I think it's really important to have a positive working relationship, if possible, with excellent property management. It really is a team sport. How do you work alongside or with those third-party managers to execute on your mutual client's behalf? Look, I represent the owner, so they get responsibility number one. And for letting the manager come up with a game plan is not the best way to go about it. It's the ownership that comes up with the end result we're looking for, the business plan. And we let the management company figure out how to go from point A to B to hit those goals. And our job is to keep them between the white lines and make sure we get that result that we're looking for. I find that when I visit properties that are not performing well, it's because the ownership doesn't go out to the asset. If management knows they're not a big client and the owner's not going out, they're not on weekly calls, they're not paying attention, then the management company doesn't pay attention. It's the owners that are into their deals, working with management daily, weekly, monthly, they're the ones that get better results than the ones that just hand it off to a management company and hope the results are there at the end of the year. So management companies I work with, I hold them accountable. I'm a nice guy. I treat them well. But if they don't perform, it's nothing personal. We will go to another management company. We'll deal with the headache, but we will go find one that our client is comfortable going with. I don't own a management company. I don't get kickbacks from any management company. It's you know, I sit with that with my clients and we interview management companies and look, they're all good when they come to pitch, but we do more due diligence on the management company than they know. We want the regionals on the interview process. We want to meet the managers. We go shop that regional's properties to see if those properties are clean and people are friendly. We call up all their clients. So over the years, I used to be real tough on management companies, but now that I'm late 50s, I understand what they do, but again, they need to be managed. And if you don't manage them, they're not going to manage themselves. All they care about is occupancy, not about economic occupancy, not about how much is coming into the end of the day to the owner. So you just got to kind of understand how they think and operate. Yeah, you got to inspect what you expect, right? That's a good one. Yeah. So C2G, cradle to grave. 
there's a lot within the asset management umbrella. And you and I were talking offline before this episode about how you really come in as a fixer and help ownership groups that maybe didn't know what they were getting into when they bought a property. They had a great business plan. They put it together well. They raised a bunch of money. And now they're floundering a little bit. What's a common thread that you see in those projects that maybe didn't get off to the best start? Where's the miss between the plan and the execution? Due diligence, taking brokers, thoughts on what the CapEx needs were and the price points of what those needs are. I mean, look, the brokers are smart. Then They're going to tell the story the best way. They just need one buyer to bite on that story. And it's up to ownership. Second, you sign the contract, but the day before you have to go hard, we use construction managers you know, I've used for 30 years. We get bids for everything. We confirm everything before you go hard to make sure that that deal still makes sense. And you know, the biggest one is unit upgrades are always missed. Some of the revenue generating amenities that the broker puts out may not be realistic. The 95% occupancy may not be realistic. It's just doing the homework and not relying on the broker's numbers or taking certain of the management company's construction numbers. My take is management companies and management companies, when they try to start doing construction management, it may not really be the skill set they want to do it because they want to offer their clients everything, all the services that are out there. I find that that's kind of where some of them lack. I have some great construction managers at some of my management companies, and I got some that are not the greatest. The good ones are the ones that you keep on your deals, and the bad ones are the ones that can cause you more headaches. And so I find that once you're behind the eight ball on CapEx, it's tough for some of my clients to go back when they just syndicated the deal and to raise more money for it. So things get value engineered out, and that's a problem. Management and attention to the deal. Again, if you're not on your asset, then they're not going to be on your asset. So I find that's an issue. Operating budgets, you know, the ones that the clients put in their underwriting model, the ones that management give after the closing or before the closing, sometimes they just, they're not the same budget. There's a disconnect there. So second you sign the contract, have your management company lined up, and make sure you meet the regional, you meet the manager candidates, and you get everyone on board before you close so you can be ready to go day one. There's a lot of folks who bought assets two to four years ago. And you know, basically, if you bought anything, we'll say five years ago, we'll draw a line there. If you bought anything in the lower 48, five years ago in multifamily, you're probably doing pretty well. It's important to not assign, as you said earlier, too many gold stars to yourself because it was a rising tide that lifted all these boats. But there's a lot of groups that now find themselves ready to exit deals. And I think in our little ecosystem, that's one of the least talked about aspects of a syndication. You've raised the money, you find the deal, you close it, you do the due diligence, you execute the business plan. Now it comes time for the disposition. Where do people fall down most commonly, in your opinion, on disposition? Where do you guys bring value through C2G? I mean, look, you have to work the rent roll so that the story plays out there. You know, you have to make sure that when the buyer's coming on, he's buying a rent roll, the leases are expiring properly, the rents are increasing. You make sure that do your credit and background checks. It's better to keep the unit empty and clean 
and let somebody in that's a risk that will trash the unit and not pay the rent. So you're building up your rent roll. Do you have good demographics? Did you let the right people in? Are rents going up? Are your renewals going up at a nice clip? So you're building that so the next guy feels comfortable buying that. Have you fixed things properly that have broken during your time? Are you just putting a Band-Aid on it? Are your financials telling the story that you want to tell? Are they proper? Do you have you know, some months where the expenses are low because the bills don't get into the system on a timely basis? Do you have bad debt? Have you been allowing for it? and being realistic about it, or are you just dumping it on the balance sheet? So you got to build up your financial statement so that it makes it easier for someone to want to buy. If you're playing games with it, it makes it harder to buy because you don't trust the numbers. So you, once you know that you're taking it to market, that two to three month window is when you want the property. You want to take it out when it's most beneficial Usually it's springtime, you get it off your plate, summertime. You just want to hit all the cylinders at the right time. Makes a ton of sense. I like asking guests generally where we headed in the market. Now, if we knew exactly, you wouldn't be talking to me. You'd be somewhere else on a beach in the Caribbean, maybe a little bit further south of where you are today. But what do you see as maybe the biggest upside in the next year to two years? And what's the biggest risk, in your opinion, as you look at kind of the macro level picture for commercial real estate? I think there's so many people chasing deals and the price points are just getting moved really high. And I think people's desperation to get deals done, whether it's big funds that raise money and they got to place it somewhere, or it's new syndicators that want to get their first deal. So they'll overpay for something. I just think there's just so much demand for products that I don't know how you make money at three caps buying in the threes. I just don't get it because you know, real estate taxes are going up, you know, insurance costs are going up. Even if revenue goes up at a nice clip, it's tough for the NOI to go up when your two biggest line items and your third one payroll is going up. Those eat away at the NOI. So the old days used to get cap rate compression help buy you out. Or back in the early days of condo execution, you're not getting the compression. There's only so much it can go. So I just think it's hard to buy. And a lot of people don't want to sell because how do you trade it into something else that's going to, you can't replace what you have with something you know, similar. So I think it's going to get tougher for folks as time goes on. And you have to be a better operator if you're buying deals with less wiggle room. Cut expenses until you're raping the property. Yeah, a long-time listeners of this podcast are going to recognize this, but I really think the last 10 years were just about being in the game. And if you were in the game, you probably won. I think the next 10 years are really going to come down to who can operate and asset manage the best. Right. A lot of syndicators, the newbies are buying 70s product, 80s product. Now, when you're buying 70s product, what's on the ground, you don't get to really see what's behind the wall, electrical. You have to take those risks into account. Because just because you fix the underground plumbing in a section doesn't mean the next section after where you fix it doesn't break down. And that's big expenses where unless you know what you're getting into when you buy it, those are big ticket items. Properties only get older. They don't get newer. (laughs) That is so true. What's your best advice 
to folks to be the best operators they can be? Roll up your sleeves, get your hands dirty. Don't rely on anybody. Rely on them to help teach you, but it's your investment, it's your name on the top of the OM. Make sure you know everything that everyone's doing on the property at the corporate office so that you know when you're getting a true answer or you're getting a fluff answer. Because you would want someone to do the same thing if you were giving them money. I think that ownership piece is so important. And as syndicators, it's even a bigger deal because we're stewarding other people's money. It's not just our family's money or a family office or PE equity from somewhere. It's friends and family, multiple and people from around the country that have trusted you to go invest their money and bring it back with some friends. And be transparent. Look, if times are tough, let your investors know. They've been getting distributions and times are tough. As an investor, you may have to say, you know what, we're not getting distributions for the next few months. Times are tough. So, you know, this is our game plan to fix it. Don't hide the truth from your investors. They'll be more pissed if they find you hiding it than you telling them the truth. You may not get money again, but at least your name will, people will think highly of you. Yeah. But at least you raised the flag. Yeah. And doing the right thing is so important. And it also usually keeps you out of courtrooms. So that's a good combination. Well, Dave, really appreciate the conversation today. Where can people reach out to learn more about what you do at C2G and various other services you offer? My email is dave at c2gam.com. My number is 954-646-7382. My partner is Clint Miller, clint at c2gam.com. He's out of Tampa. I'm out of Fort Lauderdale. My portfolio is national. We'll go anywhere. And if you just have questions, we don't charge for questions. Just email us, pick up the phone. We like to play it forward for people. Fantastic. Well, thank you, Dave, for joining us today. Thank you to our listeners for joining us on another episode of the Real Estate Syndication Show. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Syndication Show, brought to you by LifeBridge Capital. LifeBridge Capital works with investors nationwide to invest in real estate, while also donating 50% of its profits to assist parents who are committing to adoption. LifeBridge Capital, making a difference, one investor and one child at a time. Connect online at www.lifebridgecapital.com for free material and videos to further your success.